Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, Uncommon Sense with Leland Conway on 630 KHOW, Denver's talk station. Expecting Colorado gubernatorial candidate Heidi Ganahl to join us here in just a couple minutes. Um, also, if you missed the first hour, we had an incredible conversation with my good friend Kent Masterson Brown. He is a uh, historian and historian. Sorry, I got to be grammatically correct there. He is an historian. Uh, he is a Supreme Court attorney or a uh, Supreme Court uh, scholar, a constitutional scholar, a constitutional lawyer. He was in the Reagan. Uh, campaign. Um, he is also, interestingly, he is a tour guide for revolutionary and civil war sites on the East Coast. And he's got an enormous amount of history sort of pinned up in his head about America's founding. And we had a fascinating conversation about the Second Amendment and what the words of the Second Amendment really mean. Bottom line, shall not be infringed. But if you want to hear that in the, the whole conversation, actually gives the part that we played on the air more context because it dives into the Revolutionary War and part of what sparked that and then some of the presidential administrations afterwards and some of the debates that were going on uh, around the First and Second Amendment at the founding of our country. So the bottom line is, had we not enshrined the right of the people to bear arms from the very get-go, this country would already have been a totalitarian nation for a long time. Because it's not enough to simply say on a piece of paper, this is how our government is going to act towards us. There has to be something that counterbalances that power that reminds government that it is the servant of the people and not the other way around. And it's pretty clear right now that we're living in a situation where the people that are our elected leaders, for some reason we keep electing them and I don't know why— they view themselves as our rulers. They view themselves as part of a ruling elite class, not as people who are accountable uh, to the system uh, and not as people that are accountable to the voters. There's no question in my mind that's the place we're living right now. Anyway, I wanted to get to some of this gun stuff, too, because I have some more audio, and then we're going to talk about the middle class getting crushed by Biden. But this this was stunning. To, well, it's not stunning. I mean, I, he's stupid, and I get it, but... It was kind of funny. The flip-flops of this guy, too. Beto O'Rourke, who is now running for governor of Texas, uh, has flip-flopped on the AR-15 about five different times. But the other night, he actually told a crowd of people, not only did he want to ban the AR-15, but he wants to take it away from you if you already own it. Uh, my audio is not working there, Anthony. I'm going to turn that up there. Okay. I just took the position that, that may not be politically popular, maybe too honest, that not only should no one be able to purchase an AR-15 or an AK-47 because they're designed to kill humans and that high-impact, high-velocity round will just tear up everything inside. You'll bleed out before we can get you back to life. 
Um, but I don't think that the people who have them right now in civilian use should be able to keep them. Uh, the rounds the military uses with that platform, it's a different rifle, but uh, that sort of style platform are actually designed to wound so that you take three soldiers off the battlefield because you need two to drag the one guy that's wounded off the field. I don't. I, I didn't know Beto O'Rourke was a, an EMT. I didn't know he was a, so, so certain that everybody who gets shot with one is going to bleed out before you can get them back alive. I, what, a, what a moron. <laughs> what an absolute moron. So this is where we stand. And tomorrow, Super Shoe and I are going to have fun with some of the dumb takes that we've seen on Twitter because we've seen some really dumb takes about this issue. But suffice it to say, we can't have a serious conversation because of these idiots, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated with this idea that because I am immovable on the Second Amendment, I somehow stand accused of wanting children to die. And it's the opposite. I'm immovable on the Second Amendment because I believe in the inherent God-given right of human beings to defend themselves and their families in the way that they see fit from a deadly threat. That's why I'm immovable on the Second Amendment. And because I believe the people have the power to put government in check. That's why I'm immovable on the Second Amendment. And I'm willing to accept some risk for holding on to that belief. But that does not mean I don't want to have a constructive conversation about keeping kids and other people safe in public places. Most importantly, kids. So this idea that because we come at safety from a different point of view, this is where we are in America. Everything is, if you don't agree with me, you hate this, or you are bigoted towards this, or you want these people to die, or whatever. And it's, it's dumb. And you can't have a constructive conversation in that environment. So... Those of us who are in this part of the world, in terms of the idea that we all have a right to defend ourselves, we live in the real world, we're going to go ahead and have an adult conversation. So with that, I want to bring Heidi Ganahl into the program. She's running for governor here in Colorado, um, and she wants to talk about school safety because that is what the adult conversation should be centered on. Heidi, welcome back. How are you? Hi, Leland. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Now, you uh, wrote a piece in CampfireColorado.com about school safety. You said we cannot fail our children. You mentioned that you spent a lot of time working in the world of school safety. What is—I agree, we cannot fail our children. What is your solution? So, Leland, the solution has to start with diagnosing the problem, and every single school is different. And every single school has different things that need to be addressed. And you can't treat a disease until you diagnose the illness, right? And so the work that I've done over the past 10 years is around a pilot to create an assessment program for schools. It's called School Safety 360. And it came out of my work on Governor Hickenlooper's School Safety Committee, um, which I was on back in 2015 and 2016. And I was chosen for that committee because I had worked um, actually helping Sandy Hook after their shooting with emotional support dogs in my role at Camp Bow Wow, my franchise company. But then I started a nonprofit called Moms Fight Back to help moms deal with really tough issues, not the kind of things you post on Facebook, but things like teen suicide and teen drug addiction and teen sexual assault and are, you know, all the, the really tough stuff our kids face, one of which is school safety. 
And so I gathered a bunch of experts, experts in security and in military security, and said, how the heck do we prevent this from happening again? And we worked for a couple of years on it. And what we came up with was an assessment tool to go into schools and compare what they're doing to best practices around their facility, around their culture, around their threat assessment process. And then provide a gap analysis and training and facility upgrades to make sure that the schools keep our kids safe and that the teachers are trained and that the staff knows how to deal with situations and to prevent them in the first place. So I can go deeper into the plan, but that's the gist of it. It's more about preventing something from happening um, and making sure that schools are addressing the problems that exist, not the things that we think exist. So I do want you to go deeper in the plan, but I, w- I want to... I want to address a little part of this here too. Um, so I, I've made this comment because we live in a world, Heidi, where I think people, we live in a social media world, right? Everybody wants the quick, give me the tweet that fixes everything. Give me the 10 second soundbite that fixes everything. Uh, give me the fast solution that solves the big thing that we see in the news. And I described this problem of mass shootings like an iceberg. And if you're floating along the ocean, the mass shooter is the tip, right? It's the iceberg. It's the top. It's the part you see. And as we know, underneath that waterline, the vast majority of the ice sits. And that majority of the ice under the waterline is the mental health problem that is befalling our children. That is a direct result of a nation that has lost its moral compass, young boys that don't have strong male role models where objective truth has been undermined, maligned, and destroyed. And so kids don't have a compass. They don't know what direction to go. It drives them, along with the addition of social media and cyberbullying, into this dark, dark, unreal world. So for every one mass shooter that creates a tragedy that grabs the attention of the entire country, there's literally thousands of desperate, lonely, hurting, broken young people. And that's the problem because if we don't solve that big part of the iceberg, we don't fix the top that sticks out and sinks ships. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. And I I think you're right on so many of these points. And so there's two different ways I've got to approach it as a governor. I've got to look at the long-term issue of the breakdown in our families, our communities, and our mental health system, the crisis our kids are facing, which, you know, People sometimes give me a hard time about talking so much about being a mom and a mom on a mission and that our kids are in crisis right now because we are facing a lot of things in society right now. But what does all that other stuff matter if we can't fix our kids' issues that they're facing right now? We've got one of the highest suicide rates in the country right here in Colorado for kids. We've got the second highest drug addiction rate for kids in the country right here in Colorado. And 60% of our kids can't read, write, or do math at grade level. That is a crisis. And that ties into all the things you're talking about, which really goes back to community and family and faith. And that's a, that, that's a big thing to tackle. We have to go all in on fixing that. But in the immediate term, we've got to keep our kids safe at school. And we as parents have to make sure that our schools are doing everything they can in their power to keep our kids from getting hurt and harmed. And so there's two different ways to focus, right? There's the long term and there's the short term. So we'll dive into each of those, but I just have to pause and say that uh, anyone who's criticizing you for talking about mom issues kind of scares me because if you can't see 
that what is happening to our kids is not forefront for both moms and dads and people's minds, regardless of their political party in America right now. Anyone who criticizes someone, and be honest with you, I think it's probably about time we have some strong moms running the country for a little while. So I'm, t- I'm like totally cool with it, right? I, I mean, make my wife president and see what happens, by God. I mean, it'll be awesome. But that, that being said, let's go into that. So in the, the, the short term, what is your fix for the short term? Are we talking about securing the schools, hardening the target? What are we talking about there? Yes, we're talking about that. But I think first we've got to take a step back. And you've got to have basically a SWAT team that's in charge of prescribing protocols and standards and assessing and guiding schools to meet them. And the SWAT team has to include experts in technology and mental health, in public safety, in the military, in emergency services. All of those people in those departments have to work together to create an assessment tool or a way to create best practices that we expect the schools to live up to. Now, then you've got to create an accountability dashboard by school and district so there's lots of transparency so that parents and schools and community leaders know what they're up against to know what the schools are facing. Because right now, the reporting from our schools to parents and community leaders is abysmal. They do not accurately report the incidents around physical attacks and drug use and bullying and sexual assault, weapons possession. None of that. Um, they, they try to do their best, but we can go so much better. So you can't manage what you don't measure, right? So yeah. You've got to have accountability and transparency. Um, and then we've got a go ahead. Sorry, the governor yeah. who will. Oh, sorry, Lynn. No, no, no. I, I I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. The third thing we've got to do is have a governor who's willing to to be held accountable by parents and families, and constantly give updates and track specific metrics so that we know that we're moving the needle. We're not just talking about solving the problem again. We talk and talk and talk, but you can't manage what you don't measure. So we've got to have specific metrics that we know our resources are being used correctly and we're moving the needle quickly and effectively. Awesome. And um, then there's a couple other things that I can go into too. Yeah, let's let's do that real quick though. Bef- after the show's over, remind me to connect you with State Senator Max Wise from my home state of Kentucky. I've already connected him with a couple of Colorado state legislators. They passed a bill in 2019 after the Marshall County shooting in, in Kentucky um, that has become a model for other states. And a lot of what you were talking about, it sort of touches on, it builds in that transparency, that accountability, and it approaches this from a quick reaction standpoint as well as a mental health standpoint. So something along those lines, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is I feel like you're totally on the right track with this. And this is the adult conversation, Heidi. This this is the adult conversation about what to do to keep our kids safe. What are the other things you wanted to go in on? Well, and none of this is easy. I'm yeah. not claiming any of this is easy. It's hard, hard work, but we've got to do it. Um, the next step is launching what I call Reconnect Colorado which ties into the mental health issue. And Mm -hmm. that's a massive effort to educate and mobilize our community to go all in on addressing the mental health crisis, not just our kids are facing, but society's facing. That means implementing the 988 hotline that Corey Gardner got through. It means increasing access to online, live, inpatient, all kinds of help, and halting open-air drug use. That's one of the the top ideas I think that we need to activate to stop homelessness or to stop the issue um, that we're facing in, in our inner cities. And then educating children and parents about drug and screen addiction and doing all we can to build out what I call um, mental health urgent cares in schools, rec centers, libraries. So there is um, there are lots of options for people to get help, but that's going to take 
more mental health workers. It's going to take a shift in how we talk about it. But there's great people doing work around this, and it, it's not it's not impossible to do this. And then finally, the last thing, as an entrepreneur, I've seen entrepreneurs solve some really tough social issues that we face in our society, and I think we've got to have a call for innovation around school safety, so we've constantly got to be piloting things, trying things, measuring success, and really pushing the envelope to um, address this in a way that we've never thought about before, a very entrepreneurial mindset where it's okay to to, um, to have ideas that don't work as well as others, but then we put our resources behind the ones that do work. Um, I hope we can get this conversation going more. And, you know, you mentioned the hard part. How much of this do you think is directly reliant on the culture waking up? People realizing that we have to take a look at our own, you know, sense of morality and how we're raising our own kids and, how we're keeping our commitments and how we're making sure that our young boys have strong male role models and that this stuff is actually happening in each and every kid's life. Well, Leland, I think that circles back to school choice, actually. I agree. It means parents being accountable and taking responsibility for the decisions about where their kids are going to spend six or seven hours a day and who they're going to spend that time with. And so the other thing we've got to do is fund the student, not the system, and make sure that parents have access to the dollars that um, help their children be educated in the public schools. And if their schools are not doing the right things, to take those dollars and put them somewhere that will do the right thing. I can't I can't have you on here talking that crazy talk, Heidi, that parents' <laughs> choice and being able to access the dollars. So I love that you love dogs. Um my wife and I have two rescues, and we we just uh, think we found our third adoption last night. So I think we're going to be adding oh, another one to the family. Then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, my wife has a cat, and I don't claim it, so um, I'm really outnumbered in the house. So uh, how many dogs do you guys have? Well, my my older daughter is living with me, my 26-year-old, and she has a seven-month-old um, white golden retriever puppy. So that, that has brought chaos into our house to yeah. add to the craziness of running for governor. But I have a big old 100-pound sweet Labrador retriever, <laughs> and then we have two kitties, one of which no. we call evil kitty. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yes. They're, I'm telling you, they're related to space aliens. That what, like We've already determined when they purr, it's actually telepathic communication with the space alien overlords that are coming to the Earth. So, Heidi, it's always— I'm not disputing that. Yeah, right? See? Okay. Now, now you know what the headline's going to be on the news tomorrow. It's like, uh, gubernatorial candidate in Colorado admits they're space aliens related to cats. So, <laughs> since you didn't dispute it, you know, it's going to be in the media. Hey, listen, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Let's have you on again to talk more about this uh, in the future. Thanks, Leland. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, so Heidi Ganaw, and that piece that she wrote, it's uh, if you go to campfirecolorado.com, you can read what she wrote. It goes a little more in-depth into her plan for keeping our kids safe. Coming up, Biden is crushing the middle class. I think it's on purpose. Someone has responded to our cat discussion. That and more coming up at 331. I'm Leland Conway, 630 KHOW, Denver Talk Station. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Kurt offers securities through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc. Member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services through Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc. A registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Centennial Capital Partners are not affiliated. Well, we're supposed to have a financial plan, especially for times like these. But once we put it in motion, do we check in on it once in a while? That's a question. Cameron Cambier can answer for us from Centennial Capital Partners. Sir, how are you? Leland doing great. Avalanche got a big win last night, so uh, I'm a happy camper. Yeah, Rockies aren't doing too well right now, though. Uh, Anthony had a little update for us. Uh, how much? What's this 14-0? Anthony told me during the commercial break. So I guess we'll have oh, to gosh. go back to I'm, watching I'm, I'm hockey. Not even surprised. We've got we got to get some uh, some ownership changes over there, but uh, that's a topic for another day. But uh, crazy. not surprised. Yeah. All right. So we got a plan for finances, especially when uh, rocky times like this come up. But should we check on that plan, and how often? Certainly should, guys. It's a reminder everyone out there, you know, especially, like you said, Leland, these uncertain times that we're living in right now. Number one, make sure you have a financial plan. And number two, review it regularly. Now, what does that mean? And that really certainly depends on your own circumstances and your age, but generally at least once a year if your life hasn't changed much. But Guys, whether you're 25 or 65, you know, think of your own personal circumstances over the last five to 10 years. Your life has probably changed a lot. Your income's probably different, and so are your expenses. And you've probably developed different interests, and perhaps more fundamental changes could have occurred, such as a changing attitude towards risk. You know, maybe you've become more risk averse as your retirement gets closer. But the point is, most likely, your personal circumstances have changed, and so should your financial plan as well. So, you should be looking at things like your goals. Are they still the same as they were when you first put it into place? Are they reasonable and attainable? Your emergency planning, you may have had enough to put aside to cope with an emergency at your last review. Is that still the case? Um, you should make a list of old and new liabilities and make sure you're still on track to get rid of them at the time you wanted to. And certainly it's hard to predict the future, but you should think about life changes that can occur in the next five to 10 years. Do you still plan on working at the same job, maybe in the same industry? Do you plan on buying a new property, new cars, maybe a boat? And guys, unless you live near water, don't buy a boat. My dad always says the two best days of having a boat is the day you buy it and the day you sell it. But (laughs) You know, to get to the point I'm getting at, you know, review it regularly to make sure it's accurate and in line to where you're at in life. And doing so also keeps it fresh in your mind, which will give you confidence, and that will more than likely keep you from making mistakes in the future. Because let's face it, if you made a financial plan 10 years ago and have never reviewed it, I bet you hardly remember most of what was in it. And if you did, most of it's outdated. So, guys, help your present and future self out by making sure you guys are doing that regularly. How do folks give you a call if they want you to help them with their financial plan? Certainly, guys. Pick up the phone. Give us a call. We're at 303-584-1161. You can go to the website as well, which is com. That's K-U-R-T-C-A-M-B-I-E-R.com, and we would love to help. All right. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Have a good one. We'll talk tomorrow. Thanks, man. You too. All right. Um, so, the, you know, speaking, by the way, of financially tumultuous times, um, I've got this audio here. This is from the senior anal- analyst for uh, gas prices and petroleum prices for Gas Buddy. His name's Cole Hahn. Oh, before we get to that, I have a response in the Twitter box or the tweet or text box from about the cat discussion that we had last hour. So I'll give you that real quick. Uh, this comes from Mr. Cats are better in burlap sacks. <laughs> what, Anthony? He's joking. 
Leland, <laughs> Leland, my wife of 41 years has a cat that hates me. Wonder why. <laughs> uh, I was able to convince my wife that as long as the cat displays hate towards me, i.e. plotting my doom, I would never clean the litter boxes. And I never have. If you stop broadcasting on the radio, then I will know your wife's cat won. Good luck. <laughs> yes, it's trying to kill me. Colhan is the petroleum analyst for Gas Buddy, and he says five bucks a gallon right around the corner. Do you believe that we've we've hit the price peak yet, or is there an expectation this is going to surge further? Well, Christy, I don't think we've hit it yet. We did see oil prices make a noticeable jump here uh, yesterday um, in that uh, the wholesale price of gasoline shot up. And so I do think now we've it will continue after a little bit of a slowdown here in the last five days or so. We will likely see the national average starting to pick up steam again. That could happen as soon as this weekend. The national average now 461. It could head closer to 475. And as we progress beyond Memorial Day, I now peg our odds at $5 a gallon gasoline nationwide at 60%. So that could be coming. I say it's more like 80%. Uh, it went it went up uh, by my house, which I live close to what I consider to be one of the cheaper gas stations in my area, and it went up. It went up from Memorial Day to 429. It dropped back down to 417, and then this morning, it was at 449. I think is what it was. So it went up like more than a quarter in one day. I mean, it's insane. So I want to play a series of sound bites for you because this is fascinating to me. The, the, I've gone back and forth, and I, I finally come to a conclusion. The Biden administration, there isn't really such a thing. President Biden is is not there. He's out to lunch. There's nothing there. He's not running the country. What concerns me is who is and what their goals are. So when it comes to the Biden administration, are they this stupid? The answer is yes. When I talk about Biden himself and his immediate staff, like his spokespeople, they are that stupid. What bothers me is that the moves that are being made are so stupid that, and I know that there are people that are just a little bit beyond that concentric ring of the president that are really the bureaucrats that are running things that are smart enough to know that what they're doing is crushing the middle class. So the conclusion I've come to is Biden is simply a placeholder. He's an empty suit. He's a sock puppet. He's a hair-sniffing, old, cruel jack wagon who's seen his time pass by and needs to be sitting on a porch with a blanket over his knees waiting for more pudding. That's the president. The problem is the people that are running the country. Okay? So I want you to listen to some of the comments from the people that are making comments or commentary or whatever you want to call it. These are the spokespeople for the White House. So Brian Deese is an economic advisor to the president and a spokesperson. Listen to this. Look, I think that the, the what the president has done uh, with respect to communications has been has been to consistently uh, explain to the American people where we are and where we need to go. What? Uh, and that continues to be uh, the way that uh, that he approaches this issue and what? very much from the perspective of what it feels like to sit around a dining room table or a, a kitchen table uh, in uh, in this country, because that is that's his lived experience. And that's the way that he approaches these economic policy questions. And his, so his lived experience is sitting around the dining room table. 
talking about these issues. Dude's been in the Senate for 47 years. He doesn't he doesn't even remember what it's like to pump your own damn gas. So he understands that right now the top uh, issue on people's minds uh, is prices, prices at the, uh, the gas station, prices at the grocery store. And he's made very clear and he's communicating very clearly that that's uh, his uh, top economic priority. So, so what is he doing? He's continuing to refuse to let us drill for oil, which would bring the price of gas down, make us energy independent again, and then thus relieve, put a little relief valve on inflation. There's many factors causing inflation, but one of them that's keeping it up and keeping it higher than it should be is the price of gas, especially the price of diesel, for delivering the goods and services that we all expect as we sit around our kitchen table. But he goes on and he says more words. The president is communicating a Effectively, how do you explain and make sense of his low poll numbers? I, I will, uh, I will, um, uh, I will, I will, I will just say this: that, what, what that will you the say? president always tasks us to focus on what are the right policy uh, decisions and the right policy choices uh, <laughs> to try to advance an economy uh, that has been his animating, uh, uh, his 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 animating <laughs> feature of what he wants to get they, done for years. They don't know whether they're going or coming. Jean-Pierre, the spokesperson for the White House, says we're just in a difficult time right now. Is it a problem? Is it a hardship? Is it a crisis? What is it that people are facing? It is we're just in a difficult time right now with this inflation. That's why he's doing everything that he can. We're in a difficult time right now. And then back to Brian Deese who says we're in an unexpected recovery period. Uh, about a year ago, you stood here at the podium along with other officials talking about inflation as transitory. Um, now a lot of the focus from the, the White House and the broader administration is on messaging, as, as Caitlin and Kelly pointed out earlier. Was it a mistake to use that phrasing, and do you think it gave Americans a false sense of how long these rising prices would, would be here for? Look, I think that this has been a... Um, an uncertain and unexpected and uh, and uh, uh, recovery period, uh, historic uh, in in many ways. In other words, the economy is crashing around us. It, it, we didn't expect that. You didn't expect that you could shut down the entire country for a virus that kills less than one half of one percent of people that it infects, and we know exactly how to avoid those deaths because we know specifically which kind of people in terms of what types of pre-existing conditions you have that makes you vulnerable to it. But if you shut the entire economy down and then on top of that, you kill energy independence, you were unexpected in what would happen afterwards? Are you freaking kidding me? And then this is the scariest part. Jean-Pierre, back to her. I think I'm going to start calling her Baghdad Bobette. Remember Baghdad Bob? Remember? He was like, they're coming. Are we're bombing the Americans? They're be-. and right behind him, like we were just blowing crap up right behind him. He's like, the Iraqi army is winning. We are bombing that. But the like the U.S. military is like just driving right past him. Like this is this is how this sounds to me. They call this a transition. And Putin a few times yeah. as a reason for recent inflation. Do you guys think that any part of inflation this year is because of? President Biden's spending plans, or is it all Putin's fault? Well, what I can say is we are, and Brian just spoke to this, we are at, at a historic 
place when it comes to the economy, when it comes to uh, unemployment being at the lowest that we have seen in some time, when it comes to the president creating more jobs in his first term, his first year, than any other president. Eight he didn't create any jobs. They just opened businesses back up initially. And then the supply chain crisis hit, which is going to be followed by loss of jobs. I'm sure he won't take responsibility when 4 million jobs get lost next year, right? More than 8.5 million jobs. Now we're going to a place where it's be, we're going into transition. We're what are we transitioning to? Here's what we're transitioning to, and I don't have enough time to get into this. Tomorrow I'll try to dive into it a little bit more. We're transitioning to an America without a middle class. That's what we're transitioning to. They want a full-sized, full-time, subservient lower class that serves the needs of the elitists who are protecting their own interests through crony capitalism, crony distortions between partnerships between government and big industry. And it's crushing you and me. And that is what we are in for so long as Americans allow this ride, this transition to continue. When we continue next, world-class donuts. Because we should always end the show on a happy note. 6.30 KHOW, Denver's talk station. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Trying to find my donut story. There it is. I got it. Did you know there was a world record for the number of donuts sold by a donut shop in a single day? But you didn't know that, did you, Anthony? Uh, Indiana Donut Shop breaks world record with 8,558 donuts sold in one day. Later that day, both cops got off early because they were a little too full. Oh, come on, I'm joking. Come on, I'm joking. I love my friends in the police department. <laughs> Come on, that was a funny joke. Tom's Donuts in Angola, Indiana. All, all my cop friends are going to start texting me now. They'll be like, what are you doing? Uh, Tom's Donuts in Angola, Indiana broke a Guinness World Record when it sold 8,558 donuts in a single day of business. Who keeps track of these records? What is this? Uh, the shop held the Guinness World Record attempt Saturday, and the store's owner said customers had already started lining up to buy donuts when he arrived at the store at 4 a.m. I guess 4 a.m. is time to make the donuts. Okay, only if you're like, like super old and you remember the old Dunkin' Donuts commercials, you know what I'm talking about. A Guinness adjudicator was on hand to confirm the business sold 8,558 donuts Saturday, exceeding the goal of 1,700 set by the record-keeping organization. Todd Saylor, owner of Tom's Donuts. Wait a minute. How can Todd own Tom's? That doesn't make any sense. Should negate the record right there. Todd Saylor, owner of Tom's Donuts and son of business founder Tom Saylor. Oh, okay, so it was Dad's Donuts. So it's not really, but it's not Todd's Donuts anymore. Tom's Donuts anymore. It's Todd's. Said the store reached the goal set by Guinness at 8 a.m. on Saturday. So in four hours, four hours from 4 a.m. Well, I don't know what time do they open. They probably didn't open at 4 a.m. So if they opened at 6 and they set the record at 8, that means they bought they sold almost 9,000 donuts in two hours. 
Successful Guinness World Record attempt earned congratulations on Facebook by Angola Mayor Richard Hickman. So there you go. Those have to be like I you that how damn good would a donut have to be for your ass to get up at four o'clock in the morning to stand in line for it? Uh-uh. Not doing it. I mean, there's some good donut places around here, but I don't think any of them are worth getting up at four o'clock in the morning to stand in line for. Not doing it. Uh and plus that guy, that's a racket right there. Like that, he tell everybody you'll be breaking a Guinness World Record, and then they show up and buy your crap, like your stuff. Like what? I'm gonna do that with my yard sale. I'm gonna be like, this is the world's most successful yard sale according to Guinness Book of World Records. I need to sell all my stuff. See if I get people lined up 4 a.m. I don't think that's gonna happen. All right, tomorrow on the show, Congressman Thomas Massey from Kentucky sits on the Judiciary Committee. There is a bill working its way through the House of Representatives. It's going to be heard in judiciary this week. It is called an omnibus gun control bill. Thomas Massey's going to break down all the crap that's in that bill for us on the program tomorrow. Plus, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are fighting over who can forgive your college debt. We live in a strange, upside-down world. Dan Kaplis has a fantastic show on tap. Stick around. I am Leland Conway, 630 How Denver's Talk Station. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.